0: Hey, Soraya. Hey, Jeff. What is going on?
1: Um, Not a whole lot, but uh, do you remember uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked to Shelly of Game Theory? Yeah. Yeah. So we had a really good response from that episode, and people really seemed to dig it. Mm-hmm. And uh, our buddy Ronnie had a suggestion that we dig a little bit deeper into game theory and contact somebody else from the van.
0: Who could that have been? <laughs>
1: So Donette, Thayer is our guest today, and Ronnie's going to be joining us again, and we've asked Donette on the show to talk about this record right here, so Two Steps from the Middle Ages, so she's going to be joining us shortly, and I think you're all going to dig it, because uh, she had a lot to add to the band as a guitarist and vocalist, so it should be fun, and we've picked some songs to play, too, from the record.
0: Yes, we have can't wait to have ronnie barnett back on always a great time when he's on and cannot wait to sit and speak with donette so let's get started
1: let's do it
0: hi this is soraya
1: and this is jeff
0: our podcast is called Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme,
1: a podcast where the two of us play music that we like and share anecdotes and background about the tunes.
0: We hope you'll join our conversation. And without further ado, be let's get groovy. Groovy,
1: groovy, 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 groovy. All right, coming up, Ronnie and Donette.
2: I recognize that, Chen. Oh, my God. There we go. I know that, man. <laughs> hey, you two hey are we rolling we're rolling you rolling. got the gallery view you got the gallery view happening jeff
1: yeah so you decided <laughs> that it would be better if we uh looked like the brady bunch right rather than
2: <laughs> i think it's better uh, it, it's better to see everybody's reaction and i can so i can see if everybody's laughing at my jokes <laughs> 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 so ronnie how are we doing today uh, okay yeah uh yeah, no. I uh, the early start time. This is fine.
1: <laughs> are, you, are you just? I late? do get
2: up early. I do get up early other days of the week. By the way, since my days off, I tend to uh, be a little slow in the mornings. I don't blame you. I don't yeah. blame you. Hey, Soraya. Hey, Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Donette. Hi. Thanks so much for having me, guys. <laughs> How's my hair today? Is it okay? Is it... It looks great. As good You're as good. it's going to get. Okay, okay. Thank you. you look like Paul Stanley <laughs> right now. I'm just fishing for compliments here.
1: <laughs> you got the glam going on, right? <laughs> All right, Soraya. So today, as we mentioned in our little intro, we're very excited to have Donna Thayer on the show. A couple of weeks ago, we had Shelly on and we were talking about game theory. And Ronnie suggested that uh, we need to dig a little bit further talking about game theory and talk about another album and that's this album right here um two steps from the middle ages which was oh you have a copy too hey yours yours is signed (laughs) yeah look at that we
2: can get on that later yeah yeah actually i i don't think darn it oh yeah yeah there you are
1: ah look at there
2: (laughs) Uh, yeah (laughs) yeah
1: so do you two know each other personally have you met before well
2: uh i guess at a show i must have signed your lp even <laughs> yeah um well i not that you remember any of this but uh uh i guess on the lolita nation tour you played uh i'm from houston texas you played a club called fitzgeralds oh, you actually yeah. stayed in the back of the club i knew the booker i'm the one who got her to book you and um so I remember. That was a, you. I, that was me. I had a. I media, loved Houston. That
3: I had a meal with you guys. Cool.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I took. I drove Scott to the college radio station, which I was very nervous about. I was like, Oh my God, this is like the best songwriter in the world, and I'm responsible for his life. Um, yeah, and then and then this, the two steps tour. You came back to Houston. You played at the punk club called the Axiom. I was there too, and I saw Hex when I first moved to L. A. at the Palomino. Whoa. Um, oh. And then me and Donette have known it, you know, subsequently known each other online, if you will. But uh, it's nice to finally, yeah, this is this is our real introduction. Let's just say that. <laughs> so,
3: yeah. Well, I wanted to come to your party. Uh, Shelly suggested that we come to a party a couple of years ago, but I was not able to. But uh, she... that's right.
2: You were passing through town and yeah. visiting Shelly, and it happened to be the same day. But, uh, yeah. you know, next yeah. time. Yes, we'll we'll be living nearby (laughs) there soon. Oh, you will? Okay. One one day (laughs) I will live in Sacramento as well. So, you know, maybe we'll all move on Shelley's farm. (laughs) Yeah, well. We'll kick Herman out. there. Yeah, yeah, so. (laughs) Perfect.
1: Well, I had a question, Donette, to start this whole thing off. And when I was doing a little bit of research, I found out that uh, you were in a couple bands prior to joining Game Theory, one of which was X-Men. I saw that you had a release... Um, with Gavin Blair from True West, and then yeah. um, then The Veil, you had a, um, a record that you put out at, with that band, and I noticed that, oh, look at there. There you go. And who's yeah. a pro- who's the producer? Oh my um...
2: gosh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who produced wow. that record? He's yeah. got
2: it all. Uh, well, Don Out can answer that.
1: Yeah, so the well, pr- producer of that record was Scott Miller. Scott Miller, yeah. So did you meet prior to uh, the recording of the veil or is that yeah we where...
3: would known each other since um, a long time before that and I sang on blaze of glory believe it or not oh, that's right long time ago
1: so then how did you become a full-time member of the band we learned from Shelly that anybody could join as long as they wanted to But I don't know I don't she, believe that she
3: over she over. Uh, stated that I think I
1: would imagine
3: yeah um because you didn't even get a chance to audition until uh, you know Scott vetted you a little bit.
4: <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Sorry about the phone ringing. I'm just going to let that go. But um, no, what I did was I auditioned, and uh, also I uh, I had a bass player. So I told Scott that if he wanted a bass player that was my friend, then he had to let me audition
2: too. So, (laughs) package deal, yeah. I have one more question about the Veil record here. I see that that, uh, Brian Marnell is on this record, and I love SVT, I I think they're vastly underrated. Um, I think calling them Jack Cassidy's band really did him a disservice because it was Brian Marnell's band. Let's face it, it was without a
3: question. Yeah,
2: I really think he's unsung hero. So, I was surprised, I didn't realize he was on this record, so I picked it out again here.
3: He, he came up and practiced with us for a couple of days and then did that track and uh, he just blew everybody away with his ability to pull something right out of the air that uh, nobody would have thought of playing.
2: Nice.
1: Yeah. Nice. So then back to the audition, it. So you got an audition with Scott? Was it just him?
3: It was at the Big Shot Studios. Uh, With the whole band and since I'd known Scott, you know, for a long, long time, I knew all the songs and that was part of the reason that I wanted to audition because uh, For example in Northern there's a slight guitar part that he couldn't play live and it was pretty easy. So I I said, you know You need another guitar player to play these other parts that you're putting on the recordings and uh, And, you know, I know somebody who knows all the songs and that would be me. <laughs> so he let me audition along with Guy and uh, and then decided to go ahead and take us both. And that was the last time he ever let a girlfriend in his band. After that, it was <laughs> his big rule, no more girlfriends in the band.
2: <laughs> smart. That's a smart rule. <laughs> yeah. oh, probably not a bad idea. So
1: during yeah. the audition, were you just auditioning as the, a guitar player or as a vocalist as yes. well?
3: Guitar, and I had played bass, standing in uh, at the Berkeley Square one time too, when they had they needed a bass player. I I played some bass too. And as a matter of fact, I still have that bass, the the Game Theory Rickenbacker, which I'm going to give back to Fred. It was originally his. So we've arranged oh, wow. for me to give that back to him. Not that he ever asked for it. Yeah. it's just that it belongs there with him. So.
1: Was that bass guitar something that he used, like on the early EPs?
3: I don't know. I don't think so. Um, nothing that Fred wasn't on. That was just the Fred bass, and okay, and so yeah, we he wanted it to stay. He wanted Nancy or Nan had given the uh, keyboards to Shelley, and right. then Fred gave me the bass to wow. have that continuity of sound. Yeah
1: yeah that was something that was amazing yeah with shelly so yeah so that that at least for that transitional period right there was that time when there was the those instruments carried over we learned from shelly um that she used nan's keyboard which was super cool. yeah all right so you joined and your first album officially was lolita nation right although you did sing um blaze of glory so but um
3: we toured um, and did the the video too for Big Shot Chronicles, and I think that the tour really helped that one that that album get a lot of notice. And without the video and the tour, I really wonder if if anybody would have heard of it. So.
2: It's interesting that the uh, same with uh, after real nighttime, that band broke up and then Scott formed the new lineup that toured real nighttime, and so the same yes. thing happened with Big Shot. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. Yeah. yeah.
3: As a matter of fact, I think that two steps from the Middle Ages is the only game theory record that's got the consecutive same consecutive lineup as
2: the previous album. Oh. Yeah, but I guess besides the early that the first album, and the EPs, I guess so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess maybe major,
3: or I mean, record release instead of uh, independently released.
1: I was wondering about that, Donna, and maybe you could shed some light. Do you have any idea why the band members rotated as much as they did? Was Scott difficult there to get along with? were always
3: good... Yeah, no, no. There weren't really conflicts. Um, you know, I had plenty of band members rotate in and out of my later bands, too, and it went kind of like you get into a band right and and this is a fancy band and then you have you meet a girlfriend right yeah. or boyfriend and then they're like they love you because you're in a band and then then that's when they start insisting well you're not paying enough attention to me you've got to quit the band and you know there was a lot of that and i think that that i think is uh, dave gill quit because of uh, a girlfriend issue and dan sure quit because she got married and had a kid and wanted to do that so fred i don't remember i think he moved for a job but it was never any kind of acrimony
1: okay yeah that makes sense that's why i quit my first band got married and had a kid so i was like
3: oh yeah yeah. well i think that's a great reason
1: yeah (laughs) that makes perfect sense i was wondering in the case of game game theory if that was the situation but yeah. so can we talk about the recording of two steps um it looks like mitch flew in from north carolina to work with he you did, and i've got a the... good
3: story about that oh tell us uh, we, please we took uh, mitch and his girlfriend i think her name was angie and oh she was an amazing musician lolita nation she was sleeping on the couch and uh on the world's easiest job we wanted to have a crazy piano solo and shelly was not around so Mitch says, oh, Angie can play the piano. And he, he woke her up and she's like, what, what? You know, he said, we need you to play the piano. And, and they she staggers into the studio. He says, just do something crazy. And then we got that amazing piano part <laughs> there on World's Easiest Job. One take.
1: Wow. Wow.
3: <laughs> I Angie Carlson. Yeah. I, I still can't believe that she did such a great job like that half asleep
1: <laughs> right on the
2: spot then right yeah
3: yeah, yeah.
2: sometimes uh, you don't want to overthink things so sometimes you get the be- the better take like that especially guys for a part true. like that
3: yes <laughs> anyway and her we being were, her. yeah we were going out for dinner with them and uh we went to some fancy restaurant on in the hate and ordered i can't remember what it was uh and they served us um kale and polenta and and some something else i was vegetarian so you know they got that same thing and and she says this is grits i'm from the south i know grits this is this is not what is this polenta this is grits
2: (laughs) and greens greens and grits yeah polenta and kale and and In 1988 was not so common, yeah, let's face it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So So, that's the difference between
4: the
1: South and the West Coast, right? From being- Yeah, yeah. It
2: was,
3: oh, and it was quite expensive too, the polenta, which she found hilarious.
2: (laughs) 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 Because grits are cheap, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I was thinking you guys, we could play a song at this point. And um, I was thinking of starting with one of my tracks only because it's the lead off track. Uh, oh, good. W- which is room for one more, honey. And we hear your voice quite prominently done it. And it's almost a duet, I would say. I mean, as significant as your vocal is. Is there anything that you could tell us about the song before we start playing it?
3: Um, I later read that Scott in- intended that to be um, an interwoven vocal part. Um, he, he was a big fan of Pet Sounds, the Beach Boys, you know and he was trying to emulate that in a kind of a game theory way. Um so
2: there's a lot of that on this record. I mean not to I know we're talking about this song, but I mean there's a lot of duets if you will on this album. I mean, he really wrote for your voice. Do you do you feel like that's true?
3: Yeah, he did. It yeah. was and and when we did the demos, I went back and listened to the demos because they're available, you know, and uh I was on the demos, too. I don't even remember recording them. But we were staying over at Rob Poore's house because this was how we did it. We were so broke that whenever we would go on tour, we would pack all of our stuff up and put it into storage so that we wouldn't have to pay the rent. And then we would have to stay on somebody's couch for a couple of months until we found a place. And at that point, when, when we were doing Lolita, or when we were touring Lolita Nation, we got back. And uh, Scott was ready to get started recording um, the new tracks for the new record, and so Rob had kind of a studio in his house. So Scott just went in there with him, and they wrote the whole thing. You know, the demos sound almost identical in many
1: cases to the final versions of the song. Wow. Well, let's start off with by playing the leadoff track and. Um... Again, this is room for one more, honey. Let's listen to the track. vocal is amazing on that song it sounds oh, so good the, the 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 way that the two of you sing together is just great did you record those at the same time or did he record his part and then you recorded your part he
3: he recorded his part and he also recorded my part and i learned my part but i sang it uh you know separately we we taped him uh, different at different times
1: so you followed his recording after yes he it.
3: Yeah, yeah he basically wrote every single thing there was one thing in there though that i wrote which is um there's um some clinking sounds right after one of the room for one more do you do you hear the clinking in there yeah that was actually all the whole band we held up wine glasses and clinked them together uh,
2: to get that sound uh, that sounds great Jeff pointed this out last time, but but the opening track on every game theory record is just like an an, an epic, you know, and that's <laughs> that's certainly yeah. no, dif- no different.
1: Yeah, your performance on I'm that, Donna, is amazing. It, you did a great <laughs> performance you. on
2: that. Uh, Donna, you you brought. I wasn't gonna bring it up, but you brought up the relationship aspect. Did, did Scott write like? Did he shut himself off in a room and what was? What, how did he write songs like? Yes,
3: he shut himself off in a room. Okay. And and he would he would do it. Um, like he would you could see he was getting some kind of inspiration and he would just walk away and okay <laughs> and you know he was gonna go and write something and he wrote Regenas Ran in my mother's bedroom and oh wow I heard him writing that one it was at Christmas so it was the first like snowy Christmas that he'd ever really been in so um, yeah that was Well, there were a couple of other things, you know, um, room for one more is a line from that Twilight Zone episode. You guys know that, right? I did not know that. Oh, (laughs) yeah, it's called 22. And uh, it's this woman who's a dancer and she uh, has this dream where she's walking like really nervously to the elevator and then to room 22 and the frightening nurse opens the door and says room for one more honey and on top of the door it says morgue right wow. and so wow. she screams and runs away and then like eventually she's getting ready to get on a spoiler alert uh, get on a plane and she sees the same woman that was the nurse from the morgue and sure enough the <laughs> woman says room for one more and she screams and runs away right and then the uh the plane crashes
2: so I remember that episode now wow I didn't know that's fantastic yeah
3: yeah Yeah. and uh I was listening to the lyrics to that song trying to analyze them and um the it's sort of discussing the homogenization of all all international cultures into this sort of corporate American thing that keeps rolling out across further and further west or east or wherever. And it used to be that the the joke was all of the fruits and nuts roll down the country until they hit the West Coast and that's where they end up is in California. And, but uh, I think what Scott's saying in this is that actually we're extending our reach uh, way beyond the West. And, uh, you know, it's all becoming sort of this uniform, uh, lesser thing, and and sort of a loss.
2: Wow, and I thought it was just a pop song. <laughs> <What I do. laughs> yeah, from Scott Miller, you
1: never know, because a lot of his topics are pretty heavy, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of lyrics on that song, so, you know, I, we'll all get in line, and uh, that, to me, was this sort of, Jumping on the bandwagon of uh, American commercialism.
1: So you got a co-writing credit on the song, on that particular I, song, right? A co-writing. No, credit? I don't think so. Yeah, I didn't see that. But now that you're mentioning that you wrote part, of, I mean, the credits say that they're all written by Scott Miller. <laughs> yeah,
3: they were. <laughs> yeah, I got. Credit for not because you can because of a guitar lick that I wrote. I wrote a lot of my own parts on that one, but for two steps, Scott had the studio and he just wrote everything. So, uh, yeah, I a, it, it,
2: a sorry, I was just gonna things. say, uh, our, our friend, uh, all of our friend Bradley Scott, uh, pointed out to me that some game theory records like Lolita Nation and Real Nighttime are more kind of collaborative, if you will, and then two steps and, uh, Big Shot Chronicles are more kind of, seems like Scott knew what he wanted. I, I, yeah. I might be wrong, yeah.
3: No, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Yes, Ronnie. Um, and I think that that was something that he did intentionally. He wanted to have his own vision every other record, and then he was willing to let it go. If he could have uh, complete control over one, then he felt okay about letting it go a little
2: the next time. Makes sense.
1: I mean, yeah, Lolita lead us
2: such a big sprawling, you know, work of art. Yeah, just next <laughs> record streamline. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. makes sense. It's a reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah. All right,
1: Soraya. How about you play one of your picks?
0: Okay. Uh so my first pick is Rolling with the Movie Girls. And uh, Donette, anything you want to share about that song before we before we hear it?
3: Well, let's see. You know, I Think of this one as kind of a trademark, Scott, being versus being a grown up, and uh, you know that always struck me a little bit funny because of all of us, he was always the most grown up. But a lot of his a lot of his song lyrics talk about this sense of of being frustrated by having to be the grown up, and maybe you know. Maybe those two things actually go together a little better than what I thought. But uh, then there's also the whole kind of uh, upper crust sensibility thing there with the the boarding school and and all that. And as I listened to that a few times, and the way I interpreted it when we played it was that this, there's this American dream sensibility where if you work hard and do all this stuff, then you'll be able to be in the, uh, achieve your, your dreams. But really that would make you like among the top 10% and that's really mathematically impossible for everybody to do that. And so um, that seems to correlate with this notion about um, love always being you know fulfilling and stuff and if you work hard enough at your relationship then things will will work out but i don't think he believed that either so yeah. <laughs> and it was odd being this was another scott facing complaining about the the girl problem right and i was the girl so i never knew what to think of these songs you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Yeah,
2: were you a problem for him? <laughs> I
3: was. I was a terrible problem. Actually, I don't know how anybody put up with me.
2: <laughs> were you still together? What at this point? Were you still a couple? Sort
3: of. Or, yeah. Okay. You know, at this point, uh, Steve was Steve Kilby was coming to all of the Lolita Nation. Uh, or maybe it was maybe it was the Two Steps tour that he came to a lot of the shows. So,
2: okay, so so making this record. Yeah. Okay, you're still still together.
3: I yeah. think so yeah
1: and for our listeners who don't know Steve was from the church and then you guys eventually became involved right and then yeah we did hex
3: right we did two records and uh and you know it was a lot of fun Steve was much more uh open to collaboration which I got a little bit frustrated by toward the end of game theory if I had only just hung in there probably the next record I would have had more input, but I I was a little bit of a prima donna, I guess, so, oops.
1: (laughs) That's how most musicians are, right? That's why, it's part of the reason. Oh, but
3: I was the worst.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ask anyone. All right. One more question before we play uh, Soraya's track, and this is based on something that you said about Scott um, maybe feeling some frustration about having to be the grown-up. Did Scott have siblings?
3: No he was an only child. Okay okay
1: yeah Uh, yeah. I have three daughters and 3 stepsons, and my ex-wife has four kids after my oldest three and my oldest daughter often mentions that it was tough having to be a parent when she had six younger siblings so so she felt that she always had to be an adult and I was just wondering if perhaps Scott was in a similar situation but um, yeah i think you were probably the younger siblings right the band band.
3: me i was the oldest
1: So, as far as him having to be the adult maybe the band oh
3: yeah no i was the child
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right sorry so let's go ahead and play your track all right How about that sax solo in there—is that yes, what?
0: The- I know huh? that song is so stinking good. <laughs> oh my God! One of the things that always impresses me about a Scott Miller song is there's this harmony, there's this synchron- synchronization with everything. It's just everything seems to be perfectly timed, perfectly given, right to the listener. It's just beautiful to hear. So I don't know. Yeah. This song is pretty is pretty fantastic. <laughs> That was his main
3: uh, interest in writing a song was creating the very the most interesting melody that he could come up with. Melody was key to him. So you've really nailed it there, Surya.
0: He's a maestro at it, honest. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, and even a song like that, which is which is pretty straight ahead, still has those funny funny chords in there in places. Yes, yeah, It
3: does. <laughs> yep,
2: that sounds just perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so who who played the sax on that?
3: I think that uh, it was somebody that Gary Hobish knew, or it was, I, I can't remember how it came up, and it was quite controversial at the time, you know. What a saxophone, no, we can't <laughs> have a saxophone. But, you know, uh, we were, Scott, I guess, was doing a lot of synthesizer music when that was like really passe. So, you know, he didn't care. And if if it sounded good with a saxophone, Plus, I think a lot of other songs were using a lot of saxophones then. And so it kind of reinforced the lyric there. So I'm going to go along with this thing that everybody's doing, the Moody Girls or whatever it is. And so, you know, okay, fine, we'll have a saxophone (laughs) (laughs) like everybody else.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't like Junior Walker saxophone. You know what I mean? No. uh -uh. scrunky thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it sounds perfect. I yeah. don't even know who
3: it was. It was it was just mentioned. It was like, I know somebody who could play the saxophone. Do you want a saxophone <laughs> in here? And and we said, okay, let's try it.
1: The credits list him as Dave Barrett was, okay. was his name. So.
3: I don't remember much about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but like Ronnie said, it's not a traditional sex part. It sounds no. yeah. It sounds like there's some wailing going on. And I can only imagine physically what that might have looked like. Just, just from the sound of it. Okay, Ronnie. what song did you pick for us?
2: Okay, uh, I can, well, you know, as as always, I could pick any song off this record, but uh, I'm gonna go with Leilani here. Uh, Leilani. Not to be confused with the Hoodoo Gurus song, <laughs> at the same title at the same time, um, but uh, we can talk about it afterwards, but Leilani. <laughs>
4: The old feelings won't stay Try though she may Hates who she was yesterday So does she think that she loves someone Maybe the you work twice Always no dice, don't think Fair. thanks
1: You could waltz the halls away on that song right
3: (laughs) yeah three four times so weird and brave you never you're never gonna have a hit with a three four song pretty much
1: yeah but it's a very sing-songy song right I mean you could totally join in on that chorus
3: yes yeah and I loved singing that one too live yeah I went to see Game Theory or with the Loud family and they played that song or something like it and I sang right along just sang my own parts and couldn't hear myself just like I used to not be able to hear myself. Just like being there,
2: right? <laughs> no, no. I'm a sucker for a waltz, and I just I I, I love the uh the little uh, the part at the end, the epic, the coda. It's right there with Layla for me. I mean, it, it,
4: oh wow. And,
2: and Scott, uh, Scott, you know, gets a lot of attention. I said this on the last one for for his fancy chords, but I mean, he's also a master of the guitar line. Just a few notes, just so melodic and and yes so per just the ending of that song is just I, i'm getting yeah. the chills we just heard it i'm getting the chills thinking about it again so uh, loved, that's loved actually that
3: coda is one of the rare moments when i had some creative input i sang the descending oo-ahs on there mm-hmm.
2: so they're
3: a little low in the mix but you can hear them and
2: so no and again you're very prominent on the on the choruses and that was a again one. you're you're all over this record yeah yeah, yeah.
3: it sounds like it yeah and,
2: and i'm also he, noticing
3: oh sorry gee had uh, does some
2: nice backing vocals on the verses too oh nice okay i think so i'm noticing here in these tracks too like um scott's singing in a lower register
3: yeah for, mo- for
2: most of these right it's not i love i love when he sings high too but you know what i mean like it he yeah, had a
3: range
1: yeah wow I wanted to ask you Donna about, I'm looking through some of the pictures on the, the omnivore and it's got Mitch, on this picture that I'm looking at, got Mitch and Scott. How was, how was it working with Mitch again?
3: Oh, he was just great. Um, you know, I never did ever get to his studio, but I worked with him when he came out to San Francisco um, and he was just so much fun and really really easy going about his suggestions. And he would just like, he'd be like listening and I think it needs to blah, blah, whatever it was, amazingly brilliant thing. <laughs> and just like, yeah, you know, like, oh, you know, I think that maybe it, it need, you need to cook the cake a little longer. It was at that level of, but it would be some amazingly brilliant suggestion. And one of my favorite—I think this was Mitch who did this—in—in in, on at the beginning of, what the whole world wants. You can hear that amp sound. Mm-hmm. It's just this, and I always felt really bad about it. my amp was so loud. But um, he cranked it right up, and it—it it really works. It's like this, inhale before the—the the scream almost, you know, and uh, then the song comes along and really hits hard. So. I that's my my classic Mitch I think he did that I don't know I was never there during the mixes so Mm. I think he did that so I love it
1: it was intentional to set the mood it wasn't something that was just there
3: well it was there but he cranked it up and featured it right yeah
2: that stuff often happens by mistake it gets recorded and then you you play it back and you're like oh that works yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah.
3: yeah.
2: happy accident yeah
3: when that happens, that is the
2: most rewarding moment of when
3: you're recording.
2: I love that line about uh, cooking the cake. Is that is that Mitch's term, Donette, or is that? Oh that, no,
3: I was just casting okay, my mind okay. to, <laughs> to think of something that it would would be really <laughs> mundane and and yet uh, he, you know, he would come up with just thing after thing after thing and it was always brilliant and and he was so very casual about it like of
2: course we're gonna do that that's obvious but it wasn't <laughs> right and he had to acclimate himself to these strange studios too i guess yes. you know what not being his place so yeah that shows his wizardry right there yeah so.
3: absolutely
1: so the studios that you did record at were cd studios and different first studios is that correct in, um, they were in San Francisco.
3: Yeah, yeah, we recorded all of them in San Francisco. Okay, so I don't remember many of the specifics. Uh, yeah, but it was. They were nice studios.
1: Yeah, I was just reading from the credits and wondering if those particular studios had any specific memories attached to them, or was it more of the songs and the sessions that.
3: Yeah, we I think we did. We got through uh, two steps pretty quickly because everything was, you know, prepared. So,
1: So you didn't have an issue remember. with like early mixes and then getting the final mixes and you being already married to the original mixes. No- nothing like that. ever. Oh, happened. Oh, of
3: course I did. <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, always happen. Yeah, <laughs> but oddly with the final mixes. I was always higher in the mix than I was in the rough mixes, so I never complained about that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Mitch is a guitar guy, right? So he, yeah. And you being a guitar player, that probably had a lot to do with it. And certainly your voice, but why wouldn't you bring your voice up? Your voice is incredible. <laughs> That's nice. All right, Ronnie, I was thinking you could do another one of your picks so we can kind of be semi-chronological oh. in the album-ish. <laughs>
2: uh yeah okay uh, well yeah my other pick goes right right together uh uh you drive um which uh again i think it's the first track i heard it was on an enigma sampler cassette before the album came out and um i remember uh yeah hearing you drive and of course i knew i had no uh, i knew i knew another game theory album was going to be great but yeah uh so that was- that's that was the first song you heard from Two Steps then, Ron? Yeah, it, it was, uh, back in the day, kids, uh, there were advanced cassettes, uh, not advanced CDs. And um, yeah, it was like an Enigma. You know what Enigma had, would release like 20 records a month. Um, that's probably another subject on it, how you felt about being on a, a Enigma. and I loved Enigma. Okay, okay.
3: I loved them. I loved everybody there and worked with them and they were really great.
2: Culver City, next to a gra- the graveyard that had yeah. Bela Lugosi. Yeah, I, <laughs> I visited there. Yeah, to myself. But uh, uh,
3: Marianne, she
2: was our our one who we worked uh, with mostly. Oh, nice, but uh, yeah, you drive was on that cassette, so it's the first song I heard, and uh, yeah, so that's why. you know it's special. You drive. Here we go.
1: production on that one to me sounds like it could almost be a Steve Albini because it sounds like such a live feel to it
3: oh yeah
1: I don't and uh one thing that I thought was really cool about that is there's a little dissonance in the guitar part especially at the beginning and you have Scott's wonderful melodies and it's so catchy and then you have this little underlying extra dissonance in there that that makes the melodies even that much more sweeter to me that's how I hear that yeah
3: yeah yeah, when I listen back to that song now, I notice, and I never noticed this before preparing to talk with you guys, there's not really an obvious chorus there. Have you, oh, yeah. you noticed that? Oh, yeah, that's
2: right, yeah. yeah.
3: It's mainly <laughs> the- The, the hook is that place. guitar. That, yeah, yeah, exactly, that gu- that guitar that's line. the chorus, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I never even noticed it. I didn't miss it, you know. So that's actually, I think, um, You drive might be from an uh, incident a real a lot of a lot of that it comes from real things that happened like whenever we toured it was tended to be in in the fall a lot and um, uh, there was one tour that we were on where it was the world series was going so whenever we showed up in any Mm -hmm. restaurant or anything with a tv on the guys in the band would all be really interested in watching the the world series you know (laughs) the baseball and he was right they really did act like you know who are these people (laughs) a lot of the times and then there was another time it was in Las Vegas I was driving the van and I was a little lost and uh, everybody was telling me where I was supposed to go and then Scott was like telling me that I and then I missed a turn and so I just did my little prima donna thing and got out of the driver's seat and went around the van and got in the back and i told scott you drive (laughs) oh wow yeah wow he Uh, was shocked he really didn't think that i was gonna be that much of a baby but i was and and uh he immortalized that little
2: fit of peak of mine Directions used to be so important. Uh, oh yeah! Don't realize this, yeah. Touring, like, oh my god. Yes.
3: Um, <laughs> and you know, if you if you did get lost, then what do you do? You have to find a phone booth. You have to call mm-hmm.
2: somebody. Call the promoter. Try yeah. to figure out where you were. It yeah. No.
3: How did we do that? <laughs> I don't.
2: I I I really don't know. I, I looking <laughs> back, I it, it was. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but um. No. <laughs> I re, I really don't know. I also want to mention that that song also features prominently that Nan Becker's keyboard played yes. by Shelly. There's that sound.
3: Yes, um, Shelly did some really nice things in this record.
2: Yeah, Shelly Shelley's often over, you know, keyboardists are generally overlooked, right? Unless you're Rick Wakeman. But um, yeah, <laughs> Shelly's a huge part of the, the sound for sure.
1: Yeah, she was so good. So speaking of keyboards, my last pick sorry I'm leaving yours for last for obvious reasons <laughs> but I wanted to jump in here and I believe on the song that I picked "Throwing the Election I believe Donette that you may have played the Hammond organ on this one is that correct
3: oh I might have yeah yeah I think I did actually I forgot about that yeah that was uh really fun to i mean to be able to play uh hammond organ that was amazing
1: so was that something that was in the studio you guys didn't bring that to the studio it was something that was i think the studio had it okay
3: yeah i think it was a real hammond organ i I, boy this is stuff i've forgotten about (laughs) though and i'm in canada i'm stuck in canada i couldn't even look at my record to see what the oh. said and stuff.
2: That's right, <laughs> I remember you No that. politics, Jeff, you really picked this song? I mean, come on. <laughs> I kind of thought that it was
1: appropriate this year. Um, it's not stealing <laughs> yeah. the election, but. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> you
3: know, that. I think that this one came from, Scott was a big um, Gary Hart supporter. Did you know that? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: I didn't know that, but yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah he was very, very supportive of Gary Hart and he was he was so upset when Gary Hart pulled that kind of shenanigans with uh, the what seemed like self-sabotage and and this was something that Scott really hated was when people did that kind of self-sabotage it was unnecessary and it really betrayed he felt a sense of betrayal uh, from that so it was i think that may have inspired it and of course you know scott always turns it into more than just that but uh i think that's where it started
1: and your hammond organ part is prominent very prominent as well as your singing on the song too as well
3: oh yeah that was fun
1: all right well let's play it so this is throwing the election
3: that's got one of the most heartbreaking lines of of any song I've ever heard, that the votes are in and I've got none and all I want is one. That just tears me up every time.
1: Scott has a way of of doing those, of writing those kind of things, the right, where it's very heartfelt.
4: Oh, yeah.
1: I was wondering, because some of the songs are very complicated, and Ronnie mentioned some of the chords that Scott Used, I try to figure them out when I get out my Gretsch, and I can't figure out what chords. They're not standard bar <laughs> chords or the folk chords that I use. I was wondering if that translated into his personality or his life was is that complication in the way that he writes sometimes with some of the arrangements and some of the chords. Does that represent at all his personality?
3: Uh, I think that in in his normal interactions with people he was very straightforward and and really personable and fun and uh the closest he got to being um, complex was when he would take off and start writing or later on coding he he got a this was way back in the mid-80s he got a link to his work he was doing coding for a. Uh, operating system called lisp and um, once that thing was hooked up i never saw him again pretty much you know <laughs> wow. he loved coding and uh, you know it was a lot like writing but he, he could be very reclusive i'd say that was the closest to being complex that he got
1: okay interesting so yeah. that that, came, yeah. that side of him came out more in, in his songs.
3: Yeah, his songs are very different. And then also on that song, uh, Throwing the Election, I did not play the initial intro organ. I still don't know who that was, but I think it was Scott.
1: Mm. That very loud part. that sounds very classic rock. I, I, I can almost yeah. hear like...
3: Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Perry coming in after... <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jean Lord. It's very no. deep purple.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But the rest of the part uh, with the... I think um, so,
3: yeah. It must have been. I don't remember why. You know, <laughs> Scott could have played that too, but uh, I played it. I remember playing it.
2: Oh, and just take the credit on the intro too, Donna. Donna, it's okay. <laughs> I, okay, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I will
1: say it. The, the ending part, your the vocals are so sweet that. Oh, thank that, you. That, those the last few bars of the song just sounds so sweet. It's just a, it, a a wonderful way. You have that very aggressive. Organ part at the beginning and at the end, it's it's so sweet.
3: It's good. yeah. I always try to figure out what he's trying to do when he does stuff like that. You know, uh, that it it's this this sort of letting go. A song about letting go, and uh, I think that the 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 sonic landscape kind of captures that a little bit.
1: He's definitely good at that, right? Um. So on the omnivore release, there's some photos on here, and I love your expressions on some of (laughs) the I wouldn't want to like meet you in a dark alleyway because some of these are like but um the omnivore release Ronnie and I have talked about this in Soraya we were so happy that omnivore decided to reissue some of these and uh this kind of leads into one of Soraya's picks because Soraya decided to go outside of the the old enigma version right right so what I
0: a- what I picked was a bonus track, and it's a song that oh. blew me out of my shoes when I heard it. And it's the waist and the knees.
3: Oh yeah. Oh. That's my one of my favorites. Oh, song my this song Game is Fair, so
0: yeah. so good. And the live version, I mean I, I, I'm I'm at a loss for words. I can't wait to talk about it once once it's over. The waist and the knees. Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: me that wasn't a blast to p- play live
3: oh yes it sure was and you know what uh initially scott didn't want to play that live i talked him into it, it wasn't real hard but he said that he didn't want to do that one because how would we do all of the, the tape looped voices that he did in the middle right and i said well we can all kind of blab about you know tell us what it was that you said there and we'll all just pitch in and so all of us got a chance to 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 be you know talking basically at the same time, and it was so much fun. It's kind that of song was
1: punk rock psychedelic. Uh huh. <laughs> punk psychedelic.
3: Shelley was saying that she uh, went on the second tour just to play that song live. So, and I agree with her. That's
1: right. So the original version is from Lolita Nation, right? But- right. Thank. You. Thankfully, Omnivore put some bonus tracks on some of these
2: reissues, and there we go. Yeah. Soraya, I'm I'm glad you picked that song because the thing that stood out to me, and I, I hate to curse on this podcast, Do because it. Jeff and Soraya are such pure souls. But Gil fucking Ray. Oh thank I mean, my you. God, Does he not? Come on! Thank you. Come yeah. on. I mean, that's I, all I, I. I mean, Gil. I, I I meant to say this on you on you drive too. That that song starts with that classic Gil Ray drum roll. Um, but yeah, Gil Ray on that. Oh my god.
3: Uh, I don't know how he did that.
2: Yeah. It's incredible. I I, I want to ask you this too. Like every band or, or every good band kind of has a member that that maybe not is not the creative person but is kind of the heart and soul of the band.
3: That would have been Gil.
2: Yeah. That yeah. I feel like I was going to ask was that Gil? Cuz it seems like yeah, it was. Gil. It was
3: yeah. Gil. Yeah. Yeah. I just
2: yeah.
0: I love everything about that song. The all the layers to it. I mean Donette, I I can't even imagine how that must have been on stage and all those guitar parts. I mean, oh. it was fun. <laughs> uh, Scott was
3: such a consummate guitar player too. It was, you know, I hardly had to do anything because he could do everything. You know, I mean, uh, he made us all
2: look so good. It was just really wonderful. Having seen, haven't seen you live, uh, Donette, Scott. I know in the Lolita tour, he wore that shirt with the the G. Yeah. Now, did he wash it every night? Like, how did that work? <laughs> Obviously, he only had one, right? Like,
3: <laughs> he had. I think he had one. Yeah, he, he would rinse it out. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he made that shirt. He sil- oh. silk screened it himself.
2: Wow. Wow.
3: I asked him. It was the one with the E sideways, right?
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
3: it, it that's a coding thing and it means something and I can't remember what it was. I think he told me.
2: Oh wow. What's impressive to, to have the to upkeep the same shirt for an entire tour <laughs> is not is not an easy thing to do. So <laughs> So did you enjoy
1: touring? I'm glad you mentioned touring, Ronnie. Did you enjoy touring with the band?
2: Yeah,
3: I did. I really did. And uh, I you know uh, had We were originally, um, I guess there was not a tour planned for Big Shot Chronicles, so I went ahead and booked it. And, um, (laughs) you know, there was like, I called people up and I didn't know anything about where to play in all of these cities. And so, you know, it was, but it was a fun tour, but uh, I was also heard about it whenever anything didn't go right, you know. Yeah. So, (laughs)
1: Well, Donna, I wanted to thank you for coming on. We've already had you for long enough. Um, is Did you have any last thoughts about Two Steps before we...
3: I should tell you that uh, Shelley wants to point out that she did not have any anything really to do with the cover art, although she's credited for it. And uh, she thinks that um, maybe the Stonehenge... Yeah, the Stonehenge, those were... Um, Made out of styrofoam that's got carved, and then she did some painting on some of it. But, um, yeah, she thinks that maybe the five represent the five members of the band the five exclamation point Stonehenge things. But we don't know, mm. we haven't idea yeah. what he was going for with that.
2: Uh. That's so funny of her to want to want to clarify that. Yeah. <laughs> 30, 30 years later.
1: Her <laughs> and the G got a little bit smaller on this one, right? Because the G seemed to grow as the years went along, but on this one, not not so big.
3: <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting point. Yeah.
2: That means something too, no doubt, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Probably. Well, I'm glad we talked about this record. I consider this the most underrated game theory record. Well, Blaze of Glory is underrated as well, but um, I consider this the most underrated record. I mean it really is solid and it's 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 wonderful. It's it's right up there with with all the rest. So and it's got your stamp all over thank you. it. Oh absolutely. Yeah. Want to give it a little love. So
3: <laughs> thank you, Ronnie, for suggesting it. And thank you, Jeff and Soraya, for having me. And it was really fun.
1: You're
2: amazing. Yes. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. and thanks for having me, you guys, again. Thanks for letting me crash the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Anytime. And now's the part where they talk about us, Danette. So, <laughs> oh
0: well, I, I
3: hope they're I hope they're kind to us. Always those. so stressful.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you later. All right. Okay. Thank, Thank you so much. You. Thank again, you, again. Million. Thanks, Ronnie. Bye, bye.
3: Bye. Yep,
1: Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Done it there. Done it there.
1: Bad ass That's thank
0: all I- you for saying it
1: oh. wow
0: what a great musician first of all absolutely um, and i loved all the all the details that she gave us about the record and about scott miller yeah. you know we've talked about it before and i think ronnie ronnie really um summarized it really well Scott Miller was a great songwriter, but then Donette added in how it seemed like when he was writing, you know, when she said, you know, he, he would kind of just go off, write, and then come back. It seems like everything just kind of played out in his head, you know, and then his job was just to bring it and say, okay, you do this, you do that, you, you know, or, you know, and then begin that kind of dialogue. And then think about having to replicate that with so many different lineups. I mean, you're in a band, you've been in different bands. It's hard to do yeah. to create that sort of synergy and chemistry when it's a completely new group and still put out an album that's, that's got legs, you know, and not lose any traction. And when Donette said, This was the first two steps is the first Game Theory album that has this, that with a consistent lineup, it's the second album with the same lineup. I mean, that that says a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Her voice on this album. To me, makes makes this album. I mean, there's so many elements, not just that. I don't want to say just that, but uh, her, her voice on this particular album, and especially a, a couple of those tracks, like uh, "Room for One More Honey," which I thought was interesting to hear that story about the Twilight Zone connection. Yeah, but um, I have
0: no idea about that. I had that I didn't know about story. That.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna have to go watch 22. That <laughs> but um, Room
0: for one more honey. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm out of here. So, but the vocals are, are just incredible. And uh, it, it was really interesting to hear the way that it was put together in the studio. And yeah. And, and Mitch, uh, what Mitch added to it. And man, it is a really great record. And I'm so glad that Ronnie um, suggested, suggested this. 100%. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, one thing I wanted to. Um, go back to was something Donette said. Please forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think Michael Michael Corchio alluded to it when we talked to him um, regarding uh, game theory. Um, The influence of pet sounds that uh, on Scott Miller, And she mentioned it in with respect to room for one more honey. And, you know, when she said it, it's like the light bulb went off, right? Of you have these people that have this creative vision and they're like so creative for their time, right? And it's almost like they have so much to communicate that it you know that music becomes the only vehicle and so it's just i don't know I, I my mind started going off in crazy places at that point but i said this makes a lot of sense
1: yeah i would have never thought about that until she brought it up but then when she brought it up it makes perfect sense but I, 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 yeah i wouldn't have come to that on my own
0: now but- i wouldn't say that scott miller went to the same extent that brian wilson did i mean brian wilson Uh, that's a completely separate chapter but the fact that here's Scott Miller with I I can already envision like have this thing and I want to get it out and okay now help me make this vision come to life and uh and, and that to me was I don't know it was just something that was like boom okay now I can see it a little differently. I can see him and his work a little differently, um, and that's like Leilani too. Yeah, I've heard Leilani a few times, but now listening to it one more time, and then having done it there, and her adding, you know, some details about the song is, like, song is really beautiful. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, and the and Ronnie pointed out. That Scott singing in a lower register, you know. So there's a lot of things going on here. But whew,
1: yeah, I'm so glad we had her on.
0: <laughs> I just keep looking over my notes, and I'm like, okay, what else do I want to say? <laughs> yeah, I,
1: was, I was watching you jot down.
0: <laughs> oh my god! I'm like I just couldn't stop. But uh, you know, and there's a lot behind scott miller's writing of a lot of these songs like i never ever ever would have thought uh, scott miller was a gary hart supporter yeah and then you listen to throwing the election and one of the things that kind of struck me this time was you would hear this very sweet melody and then this kind of aggressive throwing the election you know like his voice was different to me this time i don't know Maybe because she added that detail and I was hearing things. Maybe I was projecting. I don't know. But um, And then for her to say it's a song about letting go. Very appropriate pick, Jeff.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: And then we just blew it all to bits with (laughs) the the waist and the knees. It's like, yeah, loud song, guitars. We want it all. And Gil Ray. Ronnie is right. Gil Ray. Yes. Yeah. Bam. And super nice guy, too.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, this is another good episode, I think. Man, I love it already. Yeah. I
0: am so, so grateful and thankful that Dummet there agreed, agreed to be on the show.
1: Absolutely.
0: And uh, Jeff, I'm already claiming it as my band, my band name Greens and Grits. Greens <laughs> no. and grits. <laughs> no. Gente a gaudubier.
1: on, pays the people. Greens and grits.